Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes in defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 17 is entitled, The Cave of Despair. Above all other living things, we are emotional creatures, and sometimes we feed despair with despair, turning pain to ignoble pleasure or self-pity and hopelessness. Edmund Spencer, the English poet, in his epic poem, The Fairy Queen, warns us of voluntarily entering into the cave of despair. In Book 1, Canto 9, the Red Cross Knight, freed from the dungeon by King Arthur and carrying heavy guilt, meets a terrified knight fleeing from the cave of despair, the rope still around his neck. Speaking of despair, who lurks in the cave of despair, the knight warns the depressed Red Cross Knight. His subtle tongue like dripping honey melteth into the heart and searcheth every vein, that before one be aware by secret stealth, his power is stolen and weakness doth remain. O never, sire, desire to try his guyful train. Emboldened by pride, the youthful Red Cross Knight ignores the terrified knight's warning, and weak though he is from guilt and the deprivations of the dungeon, boast of his own powers. Certain, said he, hence shall I never rest till I that treacherous art have heard and tried. The Red Cross Knight confidently enters the cave of despair, thinking to outwit his sly enemy, disregarding the knight's warning and disregarding the fact that despair had already lodged in his heart through guilt of sin and the long nights of darkness brooding in the giant's dungeon. Carrying despair within his breast, He did not recognize that the enemy within was the same enemy without that he was trying to outface. He was at war with himself and didn't know it. He willingly entered the cave of despair when he could just as easily have stayed outside. Even with a bold and defiant beginning, the Red Cross Knight is soon overcome by despair's guileful argument and sly cunning and is convinced by despair that suicide is his only way out. Anyone with experience knows that life is a roller coaster of emotions, and many of us have had personal friends who committed suicide. Despair has many companions. Abandonment, hopelessness, desperation, despondence, melancholia, discouragement, pessimism, depression, grief, sorrow, guilt, dolefulness, distress, defeatism, wretchedness, anguish, inconsolable. But more often than not, in our uncertain, turbulent world, despair comes galloping into our heart uninvited. The following is a quote from the blog of Paula Hyatt at paulahyatt.com. At the time of writing, Paula was faced with years of cancer, chemotherapy, radiation, surgeries, financial disaster, potential loss of home, joblessness, and divorce. Paula is my oldest of eight daughters. It was her experiences that inspired this podcast on courage in despair. Two months before I was diagnosed with cancer, I believed I had hit rock bottom. Navigating a heartbreaking trial I never ever thought could happen to me. 
Who knew Rock Bottom had a basement, or that basement would have a sewer, or that sewer had a sinkhole? Eventually, I was paddling around in the magma where my oars kept catching fire, facing a platoon of bone-shattering disasters, of which cancer was by far the easiest. Who knew I would honestly wish for those heady days in the cozy comfort of rock bottom? I'm going to be upfront and admit that I now have far more empathy for suicides than I once had, because I now understand what it means to genuinely want to die, anything to stop the horrific emotional pain created by a combination of overwhelming circumstances and a body too weakened by chemo and surgery to properly support my heart and mind. I would not have taken my life because I know the eternal consequences of such an act, nor did I ever beg God to take me. The image of my three beautiful children loomed in my mind more powerfully than they had when the plane caught fire, and I knew I could never intentionally leave them unguarded. That was key, a decision made. I don't say any of this for sympathy. I don't need it, but I do need you to know that I speak from the depths rather than the surface. Like Paula and the Red Cross Knight, many meet despair on the crooked road of rocky life when they are at their weakest. Satan did not tempt Christ until after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, when he was famished. How we deal with despair is always personal. In the abstract, advice is always noble. But in the trenches of life, such advice is crushed under the heavy weight of grief or discouragement or feelings of hopelessness. In Samuel Johnson's novella, The History of Rasselas, Prince of Abyssinia, a philosopher, preaches that reason can overcome any grief or tragedy. I have found, said the prince at his return to Imlek, a man who can teach all that is necessary to be known, who from the unshaken throne of rational fortitude looks down on the scenes of life changing beneath him. He speaks and attention watches his lips. He reasons and conviction closes his periods. This man shall be my future guide. I will learn his doctrines and imitate his life. Rasselas, a prince who grew up in protected luxury, is enamored with the new philosophy. He confides in his friend and mentor, Imlac, a man who is very experienced in the world. Be not too hasty, said Imlac, to trust or admire the teachers of mortality. They discourse like angels, but they live like men. Rasselas, however, is a youthful idealist who knows nothing of life. He does not listen to his friend. Rasselas, who could not conceive how any man could reason so forcibly without feeling the cogency of his own arguments, paid his visit in a few days and was denied admission. Rasselas bribes his way into the presence of the professor, only to be very shocked. He had now learned the power of money and made his way by a piece of gold to the inner apartment, where he found the philosopher in a room half-darkened, with his eyes misty and his face pale. Sir, said he, you are come at a time when all human friendship is useless. What I suffer cannot be remedied. What I have lost cannot be supplied. My daughter, 
my only daughter, from whose tenderness I expected all the comforts of my age, died last night of a fever. My views, my purposes, my hopes are at an end. I am now a lonely being, disunited from society. Rasselas reminds the professor of his own words. Sir, said the prince, mortality is an event by which a wise man can never be surprised. We know that death is always near, and it should therefore always be expected. But the professor was so submerged in grief over the sudden loss of his daughter that he would not listen. Young man, answered the philosopher, you speak like one that has never felt the pangs of separation. Rasselas, who has never experienced life, does not fully grasp the professor's grief. Have you forgotten the precepts, said Rasselas, which you so powerfully enforced? Has wisdom no strength to arm the heart against calamity? Consider that external things are naturally variable, but truth and reason are always the same. Even though those were the professor's own words, who himself was so used to living in an ivory tower that he knew little of the common man's suffering. However, in the realities of his only daughter's death, those words turned to ashes. What comfort, said the mourner, can truth and reason afford me? Of what effect are they now but to tell me that my daughter will not be restored? The prince, who himself is compassionate, is disillusioned, but does not want to add to the old man's grief. He learns a great lesson. The prince, whose humanity would not suffer him to insult misery with reproof, went away, convinced of the emptiness of rhetorical sounds and the inefficacy of polished periods and studied sentences. We are very complex beings. We have a head that deals in abstractions, such as inductive and deductive logic. It is cold, calculated, mathematical, and logical. It helps us to delve into the mysteries, for in law, which is based on the principle of causality, logic is essential. However, we also have a heart that feels. Life without logic is a life wasted in sentimentality and cloy and emotion. Life without a heart would turn us into robots. Life must be balanced. Those who want to remove religion, conscience, and God disrupt that balance, just as those who want to remove science. We have a physical body that is subject to temporal law. We have a spiritual body that is subject only to spiritual law. Both worlds depend upon the principle of causality because both worlds are governed by absolute law. When we remove God from our lives, conscience, like religion, attaches itself to the nearest imitation. If you want to know which God someone worships, follow their conscience. Political correctness is nothing more than God's substitutes. Today, we live in a world of idol worshippers. To some, God may be dead, but religion never dies. It is merely resurrected in another form, shaped after the ideals of the disciple. We must use the head, both in the study of science and in the study of religion. Otherwise, we will fall into mysticism and the occult and wander off in strange roads. However, even the head and the heart are not enough. God understood that. That is why he gave us the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost gives us the power of discernment. Without the Holy Ghost, there is no revelation. The tragedy of our day is that many have become boastfully incommunicado with heaven, relying upon their own genius or upon the genius of others. True faith is a balanced reliance upon self, upon others, and upon the true God.
Acts 2.38 Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Life has shown how fast logic falls when the heart is broken. We may build a rational structure made of steel, but it melts like rock in the heat of volcanic passion. The following is another excerpt from Paula Hyatt's blog post. It is entitled, The Power of Hope. In her blog, she shares her experience of going through cancer treatment. I don't want you to think that I've been buried in misery and suffering every day, because that simply isn't true. For the most part, I could do what I needed to do. The Lord has always blessed me with strength and a solid foundation, and no matter what challenges I've faced in my life, He has blessed me with the magic ability to power through to the finish line. I didn't always win, but I always had the capacity to make it to the end. I am extremely grateful for this blessing. But twice during this ordeal, I hit my limit. Until that time, I did not know that was possible. I knew what it meant to be exhausted or overwhelmed, to feel inadequate, dejected, or defeated. But I have always believed that deep inside there was something more to draw from, some hidden bit to pull out and keep going. Until that moment, I did not know it was possible to be empty, utterly and completely empty, mentally, emotionally, and physically. There were miles to go, and I had no more to give. I remember lying on the couch in the family room and praying. I told the Lord, I have nothing left. It wasn't exaggeration or self-pity. It was simply a statement of fact. That was it. Now I know the Lord had been helping me all along. To pretend otherwise would be very ungrateful. But I want you to know that at both these times, these awful moments, the Lord picked me up and lent me the strength I needed to get up and move forward. And not just to move forward, but to laugh and joke with my kids like I hadn't a care in the world. Nobody knew from the outside, you could not tell, but the Lord was holding me up, and He continued to hold me up until I could stand on my own. The cave of despair is a desert mirage that appears when we are parched from the heat. It offers a way in, but not a way out. We cannot choose but to be swept up in emotion, for like a hurricane it comes uninvited. But we can choose not to enter into the cave of despair. Despair beckons, but it does not become our master until despair feeds upon despair and causes a famine of hope. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.